1: welcome to the pastor's study if you were to ask a bible study group what book of the bible should we study this year my experience has been often they'll say the book of revelation because people are real interested in how the world is going to end well for the next today and the next six weeks we're going to study the book of revelation just the first two chapters but we're going to look at seven ancient churches and what jesus had to say to these churches. So would you take out your Bible, turn with me to the last book, which is the book of Revelation, and let's pray and let's jump in. Father, we pray now as we look at what Jesus said to these churches 2,000 years ago, they speak right to us today. Lord, whether your church has gone astray, bring it back into line, where our personal lives have gone off base. God, use these verses now, these, these chapters, to bring each of us to a deeper walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Before I jump into the book of Revelation, let me give you a very quick introduction to the book. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Well, the answer is John, and traditionally it's been John the Apostle. When was the book written? About 95 AD, it's the last book of the Bible to be written. Why was the book written? It was to help Christians who were going through persecution. To whom was the book written? Well, if we can look at the globe over here, (coughs) here uh, is the United States of America. We got the globe here. Whoops, there we are. There's the United States. Of course, over here is Europe. And right here is the, it's hard to do backwards. Right here is the country of modern Turkey. This was part of the Roman Empire in 95 AD. It was called Asia back then. We call it Asia Minor. The seven churches of Revelation in 95 AD are right here. Okay? So that's to whom the book was written. And from where was the book written? John was on an island called Patmos, which still is there today. It's right off the coast of Turkey. So that's a quick introduction. Let's jump in. Um, Before Jesus gives seven letters for John to give out to these churches, Jesus appears to John on the island in a fiery vision. Let me read this. If your Bible is open to Revelation chapter 1, we start at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, was on the island called Patmos, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, that's Jesus. He was clothed with a long robe with the golden sash about his chest. The hairs of his head were like white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two edged sword, and his face was like the sh- sun shining in its fullness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Write therefore the things which you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches that he's about to address. Today, we do the first church, Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Let's stop there. First lesson, every church has an angel. And if you read Matthew 18, Jesus says, every child has an angel. So that's where we get the idea of guardian angels. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul indicates that angels are at worship services and if you read Hebrews chapter 13 it says be careful how you treat strangers it might be an angel to the angel at the church of Ephesus write the words of him Jesus who holds the seven stars in his hands who walks among the seven golden lampstands the lampstand there are symbolic of the seven churches so here's the next lesson every church is to be a lampstand. The church that I served for 29 years, Hope Lutheran Church, our newsletter was called Hope's Lighthouse because our goal was to be a very bright light for Christ in our dark corner of Minneapolis. (laughs) And if you think Minneapolis is dark, let me tell you about ancient Ephesus. Ephesus in 95 AD was the most important city in the roman province of asia it had a theater public baths it had a library shop the streets were paved it was a huge city back then three hundred and fifty thousand or so it was the center of emperor worship people had come there to worship caesar it was the center for magical arts lots of wizards and magic in Ephesus. it's big claim to fame was that it housed the Temple of Diana, the largest Greek structure of the ancient world? They would put on their coins a, a picture of the ancient Temple of Diana. Uh, Christianity arrived in F, in Ephesus about 52 A.D. with the Apostle Paul. Paul spent two years teaching there. Uh, if you've read book the Book of Acts, chapter 19, the silversmiths who make these little silver statues of of Diana, get upset because Paul is putting a dent into their idolatry business. They have a big riot. Uh, Paul says that he fought wild beasts in Ephesus, and Timothy was the pastor there. So that's what the Ephesian Christians lived among. Back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. And Jesus says to them, I know your works, your toil. Here's the next lesson. Jesus appreciates their service. The Ephesian church was a busy church. They were heartily serving the Lord, and Jesus appreciates that. The next thing he appreciates, verse 2, And I know your patient endurance, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, but found them to be false. The next thing Jesus appreciates about this church is their discernment. They didn't believe everybody was an apostle who said they were. My, I had a depressing morning this morning. I read an article, the ELCA Lutheran Church, of which I used to be a part, is a very liberal church now. They've not only decided to ordain practicing homosexual pastors, they have a, a bishop with a husband now in the ELCA. Now they've decided to ordain transgender pastors. And I read an article today by a professor at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago about this woman who thinks she's a man. They show her picture and it's obviously a woman, but she dresses like a man and she's a pastor now of a church. And the article, you know, some of these people think they're so enlightened to embrace all this. And just you read the article, it's so depressing how deceived the church has become. I I preached at two Lutheran churches in California uh, a couple months ago. I praise them that they had the sense to get out of the ELCA Lutheran Church and to join a more biblical branch of Lutheranism. But my, do we need discernment back again in the church today. Uh, Look at verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and that you have not grown weary. The next thing. Jesus appreciates their patience in suffering. These, these Ephesians were suffering for Christ and Jesus says, thank you. I think of a woman I know who's got a difficult husband, but she stays with that husband because of her marriage vow and for her love for the Lord. I read recently a letter from a soldier in Iraq an American soldier a church a Christian church was just bombed and and Christians died and he wrote mom in America we go to church if we feel like it here in Iraq people go to church and they do not know if they will come home alive it was kind of like that in Ephesus and Jesus says I appreciate your endurance during suffering So they had a lot of good things going for it. They had discernment, they had service, they were suffering for Christ, but Ephesus had one fatal flaw. Look at verse 4. Yet this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So here's the next lesson. Jesus criticizes their lack of love. Orthodox means proper belief. And his point here is, you can be orthodox, but deadly orthodox. Um, years ago, when I was still in the ELCA Lutheran Church, I was thinking of jumping ship for a more biblical branch of Lutheranism. So I went to this other branch of Lutheranism. I won't tell you what it was, but it's, it's a very orthodox, very biblical branch of, of, of Lutheran Christianity. But it can be known for being pretty dead, So I went to this interview to become one of their pastors. I sat in front of this little board. They were cold as ice. It was like, aren't we more orthodox than thou? And it was just kind of creepy. (laughs) The problem at Ephesus, they had all their doctrine right. They were a biblical church, but their love had grown cold. Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you're an orthodox Christian. You have faith and you believe the right things but your zeal for Christ has waned. What do you do to get your love for Christ back? Well, Jesus is gonna tell you right here. Uh, look at Revelation chapter two, and we're gonna look at verse five. There's three things we need to do if we wanna get our zeal back. Um, number one, remember therefore from where you have fallen, to repent, and number three, do the works that you did at first. If you wanna get your love for Christ back, you need to number one, remember, number two repent and number three do now let's go through those number one can you remember a time when you were close to god i'll tell you what i thought of (laughs) grinnell college i went to grinnell college for a while princeton university every year comes out with their 10 most godless colleges list Grinnell is often in the top 10. Another one in the top 10 is McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. But when I was at Grinnell, it was godless. I remember Jesus came down from the cross at a talent show and told dirty jokes. And when I was at Grinnell, we met for Christian fellowship five times a week in my dorm room, you kinda had to. And it was tough to be a Christian at Grinnell, but I don't know that I've ever been so close to God. So can you remember a time when you were close to God, that's the first thing you do. And then the second thing you do to rekindle your love for Christ is, he says, repent. The word repent means to change your mind, to turn around. Whatever God has been telling you to change in your life, if you will change that, you'll get closer to God. So remember, repent. And then the third thing he says is do what you did at the first. Okay, so I'm thinking, what did I do at Grinnell that made me so close to Christ? Well, I was in deep Christian fellowship. I went to church every Sunday. I was studying my Bible. I was teaching Sunday school. Get back to what you were doing when you were close. Remember, repent, and do. Next lesson is verse 5. If not, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's the next lesson. A church that won't repent will be removed. Let me tell you a sad story. My first church, right out of seminary, I went to a church in Florida. And it was a a pretty biblical church, had issues, but every church does. Well, then I came up to Minnesota and got a different church, and this church had a series of other pastors. Finally, they got a very liberal pastor, who I noticed put the gay, gay rainbow on the church's website, And I I visited Florida and I talked to that pastor, he complained, well, yeah, the the people aren't giving money here anymore. And I kind of thought to myself, I wouldn't give either with what you're leading this church into. Well, you know what the pastor did? He closed the church. Uh, Eventually, they, they didn't have money. They had to sell their church to an evangelical church. And so I was down in Florida this last year, and I went and I talked to the new pastor of the New Evangelical Church, and I said to him, I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you the history of this building. And I told him how it used to be on fire for the Lord, fell away, and finally God took the lampstand away from them and gave it to you. I'm glad you're preaching the gospel here. And, you know, think of it, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church in America, these liberal churches that have left the authority of Scripture, they're shrinking. Because if you will not repent, you'll die. Let's look at verse 6. Yet you have this, that you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. That was some Heretical group that we don't know anything about which I also hate. Here's the next lesson It's good to hate evil Jesus praises them for hating evil. Don't let people say you oh you're so judgmental because you hate evil It's a good thing to hate evil now be humble about it, but it's good to hate evil Um, verse 7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here, here's the, the, the last lesson. Here's the reward for conquerors if you cling to Christ till the end of your life. The tree of life reappears. Now remember the tree of life? We haven't heard about the tree of life since the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden so they can't eat off the tree of life and live forever. Thousands of years later, we hear about the tree of life again. It pops up in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And those who trust in Christ to the end and overcome, they get to go into that paradise Adam and Eve were kicked out of. They get to go up to that tree of life, eat off the tree, and live forever. That's your reward for following Christ. Well, one, one last point here. Whatever happened to the church of Ephesus? Do we know if they shrunk and died or turned around? Well, we have some good news, a happy ending. They repented. And we know this because Ignatius was an early church father writing about 100 AD. And he wrote a letter to the Ephesians and we're privileged to have that letter. And in the letter, he praises them for their love. He praises them for their zeal for God. He praises them that they are still enduring persecution. Point being that the letter from Revelation worked. <laughs> it had a happy ending. Well, let me just close with this. I read of a blind man who read the Bible in braille with his fingers. There was an explosion and his nerve, the nerve endings of his fingers were destroyed, but he discovered he could read the Bible with his lips. So he read the Bible with his lips until finally after some years the nerve endings of his lips gave out. And the story goes in sadness he bends down to kiss the Bible and his tongue hits the page and he discovers and for the rest of his life he can read the Bible with his tongue. <laughs> and You know, I, hear, I, I read that and I think, mm, Lord help me re- Kindle my love and zeal for you. And how do you do that? Number one, remember when you were closest to the Lord. Number two, repent and change whatever he's telling you to change. And then number three, do what you used to do when you were close to the Lord, and that will revive your soul. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, if we're going to be talking about these different churches, my first question is how did the people decide to build a church?
1: Back, back in, the, in the first century, and you know, Jackie, in the first century, the church was kind of meeting in houses because Christianity was outlawed. The, the building of, you know, Constantine made Christianity legal in about 3, what was that, 310 AD, Edict of Milan, sometime around then. But Jackie, for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal many, during many periods, so they only met at houses.
2: So there weren't churches at all then. Was that so was it all because of Paul that the well, churches Well, like got for
1: instance, the, the churches in Revelation, some of them were founded by the apostle Paul on his missionary journeys, and it's not impossible that some of them might have had a building because the persecution came and went. Uh, but there's also a talk about houses being the churches, so people's homes.
2: Okay. Revelations is the last book of the Bible, though, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And yet this is where we're getting the history of the church, right? Yeah. Coming about. Right, yeah. So is the book of Revelation about the end of time? I thought that's how it's always... Well, been.
1: you know, everybody thinks the book of Revelation is about the, the end of time, and it is. But the first three chapters are about 95 AD. These seven churches that are in that little country, we called it a Turkey, Asia Minor back then, the first three chapters are already done. Now, there's other material in Revelation where it does talk about the end of time and the the judgment and all that, but but it's kind of a mixture, Jackie.
2: So, Jesus was alive when Ephesus started the church, or not? No, No. No,
1: Jesus died around 33 AD, we'll say, or 30 AD, and then the apostles go out and they founded the churches. So, you know, maybe in the 40s, 50s is when these, Jesus was in heaven after the resurrection and then the apostles go out. So maybe these churches were founded 45, 50 AD, that kind of thing.
2: Okay. What was life like for early Christians Mm -hmm. back in this time? I mean, if they didn't have-
1: Yeah. Well, it was rough because in certain areas of the Roman Empire, you were required once a year to go to the temple, burn incense to see a statue of Caesar and say the word, Caesar is Lord. And if you wouldn't say that, you could be uh, killed. So it was, it was a difficult time to be a Christian, Jackie.
2: So I kind of asked you this. So did Paul start all of these churches? Uh, you know, I'd
1: have to study that. I don't know that he started all of them, but Paul did his three missionary journeys. And Ephesus and Smyrna, I believe. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I don't know if all seven were started by Paul. I'd have to study on that, but some were. Yeah.
2: Okay. As long as you're talking about understanding, which book of the Bible do you think is the hardest to understand?
1: Well, you know, everybody wants to study Revelation. I think Luther said it's the hardest book of the Bible to understand. And the reason being that it's a vision. And what, you know, Paul, uh, uh, John is having this vision on the Isle of Patmos, and how do you understand some of the elements of this vision? And where is it literal? Where is it figurative? It's not the easiest book of the Bible to understand, which is why we have varying understandings of the book of Revelation.
2: But you said that we're going to be studying like four different churches over the seven. next seven yeah. different churches, right? I mean, where did the people come from to come together to start all of these Mm -hmm. churches?
1: Paul would go into a town like Ephesus, and he often would start in the Jewish synagogue. Paul was Jewish. He was Christian, but he was a Jewish Christian. And the modus operandi often was Paul would go into the Jewish temple and start preaching Christ and often Jews would accept Christ but often he'd be kicked out of the synagogue and the Jews that believed in Christ would go with him and Paul would have to go to the school of Tyrannus and set up shop there and then the gentiles would come. So the early church was formed by a mixture of Jews and gentiles who heard the apostles preach.
2: So the Jewish faith actually believed in Christ then at that point? No.
1: Well they rejected Christ in the main. Paul was Jewish Jesus was Jewish, the 12 apostles were Jewish, and some of the early Christians were Jewish. But in the main, the Jews rejected Christ, and it went then, therefore, to the non-Jews, what's called the Gentiles, the nations.
2: Okay, Um, Judaism doesn't believe, though, that Jesus is the Son of God, right? No,
1: it does not. Now, there's something called Messianic Jews. Okay,
2: that was my next part of the they're question. They're Jewish
1: Christians. Pe- people, there are Jews who believe in Christ for their salvation, and they're called Messianic Jews. But the lion's share of Jews today, actually a lot of Jews in America are agnostic and not practicing Jews. Uh, but the Orthodox Jews would not, they would believe in a Messiah that is coming, but they wouldn't say that would be Jesus.
2: Okay, so do people that are... Of the Jewish faith, still worship in a synagogue then, or are yes. there different? Yeah. If
1: you're a practicing Jew, you go to synagogue, and they and they they worship the uh, the God of the Old Testament. Their understanding of of God in in the synagogue, yeah, okay. or the temple.
2: Yeah. I remember back when I was in um, junior high school, my high school was in an area with a large Jewish mm-hmm. population, mm-hmm. and there seemed to me that their chil- the kids that I was going to school with had to go to a lot of classes mm-hmm. in, that, yeah. in that, the Jewish Hebrew, class. Hebrew classes, yeah. but also that they really practiced from the time that a child was mm-hmm. young mm-hmm. to adulthood. Yep.
1: And Jews, like Christians, are all over the board. There are people who call themselves Christians who aren't. And there are people who call themselves Jews who are only cultural Jews, but they're not really practicing Jews. And so it's kind of all over the board there, too.
2: (laughs) Okay. Tom, we're down to about the last minute today. And we've been doing a lot of things. We have a whole new different look thanks Mm -hmm. to Northwest Community Television, which is where we film this show. And we hope you're enjoying that look. But what else have we been doing recently? Well,
1: everybody, the good news is that every time we get enough money, we keep adding TV stations around the country. And we had some more money come in. And so now we're on all over the country now on DirecTV and Dish Network. We're in Minneapolis locally. We're in Rochester, Minnesota, Wichita, Kansas, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, Duluth. And now we're going to add probably a couple more. Thank you to the people that are giving because the more that comes in, the more TV shows we add. You can go to pastorstudy.org, and you can see our TV shows there for free. You can find out how to support us if you're of the mind to. Pray for us, though, because... We're amazed that we're still on the air because this is expensive. So, thank you and everybody. God bless you. See you next week on The Pastor's Study.
0: Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry?